today on CityCast DC. So I got to admit, when our rock star producer Priyanka told me we were going to do a show on composting, I kind of wanted to compost the idea, if you know what I mean. But she said, just talk to Abby Newhouse, she'll convert you. Uh, I'm still not sure about that, but what she did do is make the whole thing seem a lot less complex, and she fit it into this big picture of how DC works on like a molecular level. It's Thursday, August 11th, 2022, and I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. So we're talking about composting. And uh, is this really a thing people do in D.C.? Yes, it's actually quite a big thing. It's definitely grown over the years and specifically throughout the pandemic. I think when people had a lot of access to information and like things that they could be doing better, this was just kind of one of those things. I do know that at least for the parks and recreation stations, they have thousands of people that are composting. It's all throughout the city. So lots of people are getting on board. And then there's also the farmer's markets where people can go. And that's got to be even more. So yeah, it's definitely getting big. All right. So let's walk back for a second. Why is this like, uh, like convince me, why is this important? So composting is one of the, I think, easiest and most effective thing that individuals can do to reduce their carbon footprint. Even better if we can get businesses and restaurants a little bit more on board. I do think generally restaurants are already doing this and at least using their ingredients to, you know, the highest degree possible. But for, yeah, individuals, it's just one of those things that can really help feel like you're doing something to give back to the environment instead of throwing things away. So I guess to start at the beginning, (laughs) I like to tell people if they walk into their house and their trash has kind of been accumulating for a week or so, and you just smell, you know, that awful mixture of things in this plastic bag that's getting no oxygen. So everything's just kind of like fermenting in there together. It's really bad. And part of that is because organic materials mixed with inorganic materials in this atmosphere can't break down the way that they need to. So when all of this year one bag is transferred with all the thousands of bags throughout the city to a landfill or incinerator, all of this stuff is just together in this weird chemical soup of things not being able to break down because they're in a a bad atmosphere for that. It doesn't promote decomposition in a natural way. Does DC's stuff go to an incinerator? Yes, they actually have to pay to haul it out. And one of the biggest sites is in Lorton, Virginia. So where, by comparison, where does the compost that DC collects go to? So it depends. If you are composting with local farmers markets, they'll take that compost up to DMV farms in the area. It's like a partnership. And then if you're composting with the Parks and Rec service and different community gardens throughout the city, they'll often use that within the gardens. Is there data on like how much you reduce your carbon footprint if you do this, if you're like a family of four? Yeah. So I don't have exact numbers on that, but I do know that in the D.C. area, they've put this together that about 50 percent of waste is organic material that could be composted. Meaning it wouldn't wind up being incinerated or in a landfill. It would wind up fertilizing or something. Yes, it would wind up turning into soil and fertilizing the land. Um, All right. So walk me through this because I have to 
kids, and we're lucky if things wind up in the regular trash and not like on the floor. So tell me what what can you compost? Uh, you've told me why we should do it, but tell me what you can do. Yeah, so it depends where you're putting your compost, right? So I've mentioned the farmer's markets and the community gardens. There's also curbside pickups. All of these are going to have different rules, different guidelines on what's available to be composted. So most of the time, you're going to be just fine with veggie scraps, fruit scraps, bread, pasta, rice, beans, even like cut flowers from farmer's markets or something that you're getting around the city. The only thing that they, at least for the farmer's markets and community gardens, is that they don't take meat or dairy at this time for a couple of reasons, but I think mostly because that attracts more pests that they don't want to deal with. All right. I, I don't know about you, what kind of like house situation you've got going, but that sounds like it takes up a fair amount of space in a crowded kitchen. Um, where do I put stuff? Because I'm again, I don't mean to be a jerk, but it seems kind of gross. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it definitely <laughs> can be. So I think that's a lot of the reason why people like are hesitant to start is because it still will smell bad just in different ways than if it was in a trash bag. So Again, it kind of depends on where you're taking it afterwards. I think curbside composting programs will give you a bucket usually, and it has a lid. You can just kind of seal it off, place it out on the curb when you're ready for them to pick it up. There's bins dedicated to composting you can buy in different places. It's kind of the same where it's, it seals it off. I personally keep a huge plastic trash bag in my freezer and just put scraps in throughout the week. And then I'll take it to the community garden. So, yeah, it definitely gets to a point where it's like, okay, we have to take this out right now. <laughs> when you say curbside pickup, what does that mean? There are a few private curbside programs like Apex Organics, Compost Cab, Pluver, Key Compost. Like the list kind of goes on and it's actually pretty easy to Google. And you, the customer, like you, you pay them to come to your house and pick up. How much does it cost? Yeah, so that's kind of the issue with these, depending on the resident, if you're if you're able to pay for this. The other programs are free, the farmer's market and community garden. Um, as far as I've seen, it's somewhere around 30 a month, just because it's, you know, getting around DC. We all know what that's like. So yeah, the fees can can add up a little bit, but they have dedicated farms that they're taking this to as well. So still kind of a closed loop process. Composting should be a thing that big businesses and government and, and things are behind. In fact, the U.S. is actually behind a couple different countries that have compost bins everywhere in cities. I was in Spain in October, and yeah, they have a huge trash, a huge recycling bin, and one composting bin. So, and this is like at people's regular houses, the same way that we have like our green and our blue trash cans, they will have a third trash can that is for organic material. Yes. Yeah. They're on the street, on the street everywhere. Sorry, has there been a push to get the, the local government in D.C. to do that? Yes. D.C. is actually planning it. D.C. is one of the cities that people are looking to, to like figure out how to implement this. There are some cities in the U.S. that are a little bit farther ahead, like Portland, Oregon. Surprise, surprise. They'll have composting like within apartment buildings and, and such that you can, you know, they actually take the compost more often than they take the trash from buildings, which, of course, prompts rev residents to compost more. So... Yeah, D.C. is kind of working on that. They have a pilot program, basically like the curbside programs that I was talking about earlier, except it will be through D.C. Right. And those would also be 
kind of open to anybody, whether or not you had the money or the proximity to the Cleveland Park Farmer's Market or something. Yeah, hopefully. I know it is a pilot like I was talking about, and they said they're going to start out with 10,000 households. So we'll have to see which households in the city they're going to focus on. All right. So stereotypically, this is associated with people who have a little bit of disposable income and and, and opportunity and maybe maybe a, like a tote bag or two in their possession. Are there disparities across the city? Or are there places you can drop off anywhere in the city? There are disparities and there's also not. Like, you can tell that D.C. is definitely working on it. There's people that care in all different wards. Right now, though, on the community garden side, Ward 7 and 8 only have seven active sites between the two of them. And if you compare that to, like, Ward 5, which has 11 active sites and just one one spot, you know, you can kind of see that there's not, not as much available to these people, to these residents. For folks who don't know, Ward 7 and 8 are the two wards located on the east side of the Anacostia. They've got some gorgeous neighborhoods, but they've got a lot of really struggling neighborhoods. Ward 5 is a little more economically mixed. It has a lot of blue-collar neighborhoods, but also some fancier ones. Yeah, yeah. And and along with that, like Ward 2, again, one of the more like economically favored wards, I guess. Um, That one only has two active sites, but they also have access to more farmers markets than Ward 7 and 8. So they still have quite a few options to choose from. Ward 7 and 8 only have one farmer's market between them that's also closed for the winter. So there's a couple roadblocks in the way for year-round composting. So there's definitely room for improvement, but I know they're working on it. Like when I say that there's only these many active sites, there's also a few that are built but in need of managers. And so I think a big part of that is getting the word out about composting, which is why it's good that we're, you know, doing this podcast, but but also just being able to do some more marketing and stuff on it throughout the city to help people understand why it's so helpful and why it should be, you know, equitable in each different ward. What about in the rest of the DC area? Or what 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 uh, municipalities have this as part of their service? Um, I don't think many do, which is part of why this pilot program will be important. I think being able to use the compost in different green areas that we have will help maintain the parks and then also the waterways, like we're saying. So like during the pandemic, I noticed a lot of restaurants had switched up their takeout containers to those like beige styrofoam-ish boxes. Yeah. Now we're supposed to be in the name of sustainability. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) Um, Are those boxes themselves compostable? This is where it gets a little bit complicated. And I wrote an article about this uh, about a year and a half ago because I was at Union Market, got some Taquerian. It was in a compostable container. And I was like, this is great. And then I looked around and I was like, but where do I put it? (laughs) There was only a trash can. These products count as industrial composting, which is different than just composting a carrot or lettuce leaves. They break down a little bit differently and they need to be broken down kind of in an industrial compost site. (laughs) And part of the reason it has to go somewhere else, which is also part of the reason why DC hasn't implemented it yet, because it adds costs, is because it does have other chemicals, different things within the packaging for the most part that they say should not be placed over food that we're growing. It still is totally fine to put for plants, for trees, for flowers, whatever, but the risk of those like chemicals getting into our food means it has to be processed differently. So <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> were these restaurants just like 
dumb to get those things? I mean, it's kind of a greenwashing thing. Like they are doing their best. It is true that these compostable containers will break down faster in a landfill. But the ironic part is like nobody's going out to a landfill to collect the dirt that's in this pile of garbage. So <laughs> it doesn't do much for the environment in that atmosphere. I like that term greenwashing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so are you the one at parties who's always telling people to compost? Oh, yeah. Calling me out. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, doing this is a is a dream come true. And I don't want this to make make this sound like this is all an individual's actions. And it's like all up to us individually to save the world because that, you know, is kind of a pipe dream. Yes, we should be doing the best that we can. And having this knowledge helps us become better. But we also need to put pressure on government. We need to show up for this composting pilot and make them understand that people are really interested in this. Businesses, government, like we have to be doing this on a big scale as well as a small scale. And so anyway, yes, I'm the person that talks about it, but I also want it to be recognized that I know it's not up to small people to fix everything. <laughs> so I'm a city kid and, you know, the thing is like you, you have trash and then you make it go away. And that's kind of the, the binary. It's like either there or it's away. And, yeah. you know, we don't watch our food grow or, or anything like that. We now have community gardens. We now have these other things. So people are maybe a little bit more aware of like the cycles of nature. But this is kind of sort of the cultural change, it seems to me, you're navigating also is that for people who are not, you know, in a farming area where where the, the land is understood as a factory for producing things, it's like the instinct if you're trying to keep your house clean and stuff it's just like make it all go away man right yeah and that's i mean it's a hard mindset to break out of and it's hard for a reason it's because these industries have given us the ease of just being able to throw something out and replace it with something else and yeah we just kind of view throwing things away as if they disappear i think we've all had that mindset before right and that's just not reality and i think that can be seen when you talk to people about like landfills or if people have like driven by and seen them or gone to them everybody is like <laughs> scared of this <laughs> like we see all these dystopian movies of like landfills like burning and like that's the atmosphere of the world in this dystopia and it's like that's actually happening right now and we just ignore it because to us, it's a it's a different place. It doesn't exist here. It's away, whatever away is. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, tell me if I am someone who wants to get rid of my watermelon rinds and pineapple pieces, and I don't, I can't afford to pay for a pickup service. Where specifically should I go? Yeah. So I would recommend the farmers markets or the community gardens. Any farmers market? Most of them do. You can check a simple Google of like DC composting will tell you which farmer's markets will let you. Most of them do. They have, you know, specific hours and days. So it's good to check on that. There's also a list of what they'll accept on that website. And what what should I put it in when I bring it to, to the farmer's market? Do I put it in a plastic bag? Do I? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you just dump it out of the plastic bag into what they have, and then you'll take your plastic bag home. So we've reused our freezer bag for like a couple years now. <laughs> so you have like a freezer bag full of composted material, but it's in the freezer, so it's not gross. Yeah. And then you reuse it. Okay, sweet. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it definitely helps, but also means that we maybe keep it too long in the freezer and need to take it out more often. <laughs> 
But I would also recommend these, the parks and recreation composting sites, the community gardens. They have a really good system. There's a couple people that will manage each different site throughout the city. And um, they'll give you a training and just tell you how to how to do what they accept. And and then also you're able to volunteer with them and help move the compost, help clean up the site. So it's just it's kind of a good community builder while growing things. Dig it. What's the weirdest thing that you can compost? Oh, my gosh. You can compost. I don't know that these things take this, but you can compost your own hair or your fingernails. We are technically organic material humans, so we can also be composted. So you got to bring your message to barbershops, man. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) It's a good point. We'll set aside a little bin for them. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Newhouse. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Super fun. Hi, David Plotz here, jumping in with a news story that's got me really fired up. Joyless, pointless, and stupid. That is the only way to describe the decision made by two federal agencies to destroy one of the most delightful and weird monuments in Washington, D.C., the Capitol Stones. If you've had the good fortune to see the Capitol Stones, you know it's one of Washington's special places, a hidden and mysterious avenue of ancient stones in Rock Creek Park. These stones are a happy accident of bureaucratic negligence. When Congress rebuilt the east front of the Capitol in the early 1960s, they ended up pulling down lots of materials from the original construction, including massive blocks of stone, carved pediments, and even whole columns. The architect of the Capitol didn't know what to do with these remnants, so most of them were eventually dumped in huge 20-foot-high piles in Rock Creek Park, behind a maintenance shed near the stables. And they've sat there for 50 years, getting mossy and scenic. About 20 years ago, Rock Creek Park goers, including me, realized the stones were there and began visiting them. The Capitol Stones have come to resemble a Mayan ruin, overgrown by bushes and trees, but each stone still showing a human touch, a stonemason's mark, or a weathered carving. I've probably visited a dozen times in the past decade, and each time it evokes a feeling of awe and mystery and curiosity. The stones were fenced off recently, and now comes word from Jack Fitzpatrick of Bloomberg government that the two agencies that manage the stones, the architect of the Capitol and the National Park Service, are going to move them into a storage warehouse in Fort Meade, where they'll be inaccessible to the public. The authorities claim they're moving the stones to protect them from damage and to prevent visitors from going off the trails. But visitors aren't damaging the stones. They're exploring them. There is no evidence of vandalism or theft. And the stones are only, quote, off the trail because the National Park Service has declined to cut a path that would take walkers from the trail to the stones, a total distance of perhaps 18 feet. If they want, I'll come next weekend with a friend and lay down some dirt to make the trail official. This whole thing is bureaucratic idiocy. I presume the architect of the Capitol and the National Park Service are embarrassed that they've neglected the Capitol stones. And because they're embarrassed, they want to hide them away where no one can see them. What shriveled hearts these agencies have. The Capitol Stones bring joy and spark curiosity. It is grim, sad, and small-minded to lock them away. Okay, rant over. Admittedly, there are a few other stories worth checking out today, so we've linked to them in our show notes. Check them out.
That's all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilbe. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. And lastly, a reminder, please share CityCast DC with your friends. They can subscribe to our pod and newsletter at our website. And if you have an extra second, leave us a review too. We'll be back on Tuesday morning. Bye. (laughs) 